Thanks for joining us in our study of the book of Joshua. This Old Testament book presents a theological history of God as the sovereign promise maker and promise keeper who brings to pass all his gracious purposes. It calls Christians to live in light of the gospel blessings secured for them by Jesus, the better Joshua. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people complete in him. Uh, This is Paul speaking to his protege, Timothy, uh, instructing him as a young pastor, uh, helping understand what it means to be a shepherd and how to take care of the flock. Let's pick up in verse 14, and we'll read through 17, then we'll pray. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May God drive his word deep into our hearts. Let's pray. God, we come to you together as a body just asking you to work. We know that without your Spirit's work, we cannot change. All work will be filthy rags. We desire that you would take your word and plant it deep in us, change our desires, change our attitudes, so that we might obey and be made more like Jesus. And as we see you for who you are, that we would love you. I pray that you would guide us into all truth today and that you would give us hearts of faith. We will give you all praise and honor and glory as we do so, uh, and we just ask for your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Happy New Year. Made it to 2019. Each year I feel like that's a weird thing to start saying, like the next thing, I'm just not used to it. Next will be really easy, like 2020. Like I think that's gonna be a little bit easier, but still, uh, we've made it through the Christmas season finally into the new year, uh, and I'm very thankful. I don't know if anywhere here last week, but John Sweeney preached, and I got to listen to it on the, uh, the podcast, and what a blessing uh, to enjoy the psalm together, and then also to have, I could hear in the background, all the kids, too. So it's a wonderful time for me even to listen in from afar uh, and enjoy that together. So I'm, I'm very thankful for John preaching Christ and consistently preaching truth. Um, as we move into the new year, Uh, You may think that it's appropriate for us to start talking about spiritual New Year's resolutions. Uh, It's kind of very much every year this time you see several different writings or blogs about what's to do and what's not to do and how to best actually fulfill your resolutions and how to get somewhere. I'm not against the idea. I think it's it's a good idea. It's a good thing to put disciplines in your life. It's an excellent idea. Um, There will be probably many sermons preached around the United States and probably on the world today that center on, hey, you really need to go out and do a couple of these types of things. Prayer, giving, serving, uh, and of course, good Bible reading. These are good things, and they're right for us to talk about. Uh, and, and, ready, and like at least so, many of these churches, including our own, would encourage us to do these things. They're right. They're obedience to our Savior. The Bible is something that we, we all agree. We're, we're all okay with saying, yeah, we should all read the Bible. We, no one's going to disagree with that statement here. 
Um, we think it's a wonderful book. We think that we should turn to it as our authority, be that which guides us and leads us into the truth, uh, and that we should probably regularly spend time in it to grow as Christians. We kind of know that there's this unsaid, stated uh, Sunday school answer of how to grow as a Christian. It's to read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Uh, there's a reason that we teach our kids that, because there is some helpful truth there for us. There's some good things, good disciplines to say, these are things that ought to be in your life. Um, so it follows that I should also, as your pastor who loves you, want you to grow and then encourage you in these things as well. And I would. I would like to do that. And you probably hear that enough from us and want to continue to hear that. Uh, some of us take this so seriously that we rightly, we rightly encourage one another to reading plans and to enjoy different ways to get through the Bible in a year. Or if you're really serious, you're really wanting to notch it up, you go to B90X, not P90X. You do the Bible, the whole Bible in 90 days. There's a few people I know I've done that. I've tried. I made it to like day 50, and I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, so maybe one day I'll get back on there and try it again. Uh, but that's, that's a serious commitment to reading the Word, and that's a good thing. I'm not here to discourage Bible reading whatsoever. It's wonderful, and I mean a wonderful pursuit. But I want to remind us that it stops short of the ultimate goal, that reading Scripture is not an end in and of itself. Um, Jesus says that the first commandment is, love the Bible, your God, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. It says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind. Next week, we're going to start an introduction to the book of Joshua. We're going to be going through Joshua in the coming months. We'll start working through the text week by week, just like we did James, taking week by week, understanding it, and preaching the truth of that book for our own hearts. But some of you may be wondering, why Joshua? Uh, some of you may think, Joshua, I, I know this book. It's a great book on leadership, military conquests. Uh, we have these really exciting stories of around Jericho and the walls fall and this, this incredible kind of stuff that's happening. And overall, I mean, yeah, there's some distribution of the land at the end, but overall, we've got a really good history of the telling of the conquest of the land. It's a, it's a good thing for us to kind of rehearse once in a while and make sure we understand it and know where we came from. Um, but, but why preach it? Why would we spend this time, this important time to us, preaching Joshua? What relevance does it have for 2018 for us here? I mean, we've got 27 books of the New Testament. And if you've been around Cornerstone for any amount of time, you know that could take up to 15 years or so to get through. So why would we preach the Old Testament? And why would we go back to Joshua and start learning it? Like, Chris, do you know what you're really getting into? I'll answer that with two answers, yes and no. What I mean by that is it's a little intimidating for me to come up here and talk to you about Joshua to study it all week, and then to try to help you understand it. I am not a, a master on Joshua. My, my thesis wasn't on Joshua. I, I don't have any special information. I, I haven't walked the land of Israel. I, I don't know what it looks like besides from pictures and study from that kind of stuff. So I, I don't come with any sort of special authority and give you some sort of wow factor about Joshua. So I'm, I, it's a little intimidating. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm going to get myself into. Week to week might be a little difficult. But at the same time, there's a little bit more than that. Part of me is intimidated, and it seems a whole lot easier for us to turn perhaps to an epistle 
something that Paul speaks to us. Kind of add some illustrations, understand it well, and then, in a sense, re-preach it. And that's good and right. But if we continue to do that over and over again, we do ourselves a disservice. We, we kind of cut ourselves short of the entirety of Scripture. Uh, there are many ways to teach Scriptures. At, at Cornerstone, we do this time, of course, but we do core seminars on a monthly basis where we teach the truth of Scripture. We meet together for community groups where we spend time studying the Bible together and encouraging one another with words of encouragement from Scripture to help one another and to encourage and to rebuke and to comfort one another. Some of us have even banded together in other sorts of ladies' or men's Bible studies, etc., to help one another, encouraging each other to both read and digest the Bible. And as pastors, even in our pastoral visits for our members, we're going to encourage you to be reading with a family and family worship and as individual worship to our God as well, so that you would grow. But overall, our most regular teaching time, when we all get together and hear consistent teaching, is here on Sunday mornings. Uh, we believe that the expository preaching of the Bible is both an act of worship and the means by which God evangelizes and forms Christian believers. And so it's very, very important for us. For us, and by that I mean the elders, as we have worked through this together, we're convinced that we must preach the whole of Scripture here in this time and in this way. And there are other ways to do that, but this seems best to us. And so that means eventually, by God's grace, we will preach all the other sections of Scripture as well. We'll preach through the prophets. Like, we'll preach Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Like, these are, you think these are Amish names, but they're real people in the Bible. <laughs> we will do this. We will also go to Song of Solomon. We will go to Ecclesiastes. We'll go back to the law and read things crazy. We'll preach Leviticus. I mean, if we really believe what I'm about to say, about to work through today, these are all sections that we are going to work through. Now, I don't know how many years God is going to give us in the world. I have no idea. Or, or me, or us as a church. I don't know. By God's grace, I hope by the end of my life that we've preached through the whole Bible. That would be a goal of ours, so that we would not hold back anything of our understanding of Scripture. There's different ways, again, like I said, to do that. But this is one of the ways that we think is best for our congregation, and we want to do this. So, uh, again, why do that? I think it's important for us to see the entirety. I'm not, again, I'm not quite ready to like preach Song of Songs next week to the whole congregation in this setting, uh, but someday, by God's grace, we'll get there. Um, if we only ever teach the New Testament, though, we'll find ourselves lacking. This is what I mean. We'll have spent much concerted effort plowing through the New Testament and all that helps us understand the significance of the New Testament without ever getting to the point which helps us realize why the New Testament was written and why it means anything. There's a whole section back here that tells us what's coming. And if we were ever just to stay right here in the New Testament, we, we cut out all the predictions, all the formations, all the bedrock theology of who our God is. And the beauty of when Christ comes, it's miraculous. And so we want to think about those things. And earlier I stated both yes and no to the question about whether or not I knew what I was getting myself into. Obviously, no, I don't know all that's going to happen from this. I'm not an expert, um, again, but we're going to try. But that's okay, because the other answer is yes. We do know what we're getting ourselves into. 
We know that we're gonna t- where this is going to take us. By the Spirit's work and power, it's going to lead us into all truth. By the Spirit's work and power, he is going to give us something that is beautiful and forever true. That's what we're talking about, the Old Testament, all of the scriptures. We're going to see something that teaches us, something that reproves us, something that corrects our, our, our problems, something that trains us in righteousness. One more thing, there's probably way more than this, but one more I'll say, it also proclaims Jesus Christ. That's what we're eventually going to get to here today. This may sound strange for some of you, but maybe if you don't understand it, put it in your knowledge bank, your Christian knowledge bank, and know that that's where we're going, and that that's so important to the whole understanding of Scripture. I'd like for us to spend the rest of our time today looking through a few passages. I have three main passages. I'll have some other stuff sprinkled here and there, but we are going to work through three passages today that teach us the significance of knowing and obeying the Word of God with specific reference to the Old Testament. So there will be things at the end of this time for us to do, obviously. Good teaching will result in good living. Like the truth about who God is will follow action. We just went through James. We know this to be true. Faith without works is dead. There will be stuff that comes out of us. But specifically today, I'm not asking you to do a bunch of stuff. I'm asking you right now, and as you go home, and as you talk with your community group members, and as you talk to one another, I'm asking you to think. I'm asking you to think about how the Bible treats the Bible. And then I'm asking you to think about how you treat the Bible. This will help us understand how we approach it and what we're even expecting to get from this thing that we call the Scriptures. Today, I'm asking you to think with me. I've already said this question that's kind of out there, why should we preach Joshua? I'd like to kind of go to three passages, like I said, to lead us in our thinking. Let's go to Psalm 19 to begin with. We're going to read this. Uh, While you're turning there, let me give you an idea what I'm trying to see here. I want us to see the high value of the law. The high value of the law. Psalm 19. I'm going to read and talk our way through this text so that we can see what David is trying to tell us. Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Listen to those two first verbs right off the bat. Declare and proclaim. Do you know what's happening here? The the creation is communicating. It's speaking. It is giving forth speech about who God is. Now listen to it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Listen to this next. Day to day pours out speech. It's telling something. And the night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So we see their voices goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. In all the stuff that proclaims Christ and God himself in his glory, he has the sun in a tent which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The natural world proclaims God. It shows forth speech about who he is. It tells us who God is in one sense. Now, we get to this, and we love to think about like the Grand Canyon, 
or like the rolling hills around us, or the sunsets or sunrises that we, we get to take a part in, a part in and enjoy. How does that then get us to verse 7? It's like he does a complete, like maybe a 90 degrees go in this one, all of a sudden it's going way over here. The law of the Lord is perfect. I'm going to start talking about the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I mean, he is putting layer upon layer upon layer about the use of God's word. Special revelation. We talked about creation and nature, showing God in a very general way. We call that general revelation. David is now turning to another form of communication to us, his creatures. We call it special revelation, the word of God, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. Look what he talks about them in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, like the best stuff. Sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb, the very best and sweetest and satisfying honey. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. David puts a very high premium on the revealed word of God. We're talking about the Bible here. He shows us the great power of it as it works. We can see and experience his glory through all his creation around us, through the natural world, through, again, a sunset, or even looking at a microscope and seeing the complexities in cells and all the things that exist in the world. But none of that leads us to repentance and faith. None of that enlivens you. None of that kind of stuff can make a simple person wise. None of it can. And so the about face to verse 7 is because nature is not enough. It can't save you. It proclaims, but it proclaims the glory of God without special revelation understanding our place in that picture. And so we see that the Bible is a supernatural book, has great power to bring about supernatural change in the life of a believer. And that's what we need. That's, that's what we want. We want to be changed. Uh, we want to be revived and enlightened. And we want to find this great treasure that he speaks of, this incredible reward. But what Bible or what commandments or what law is David talking about? It's most likely he is just talking about the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And with that, he can say these five books revive the soul. He can say that this makes a simple person wise. He talks about all that and rests it just on those first five books of the Bible. It's incredible. David is making a point that there's a high value to the law here. The Bible is doing this. And most importantly, we see that through these five books that he can do stuff that nature can't do. It can never do it. The word of God is a treasure. And it's what we find here to actually spiritually change us. We need these books. They're God's means of changing us to be more and more like him. So David shows us the preciousness of the law of the Lord. That's the first passage. Let's go to the next one. This is where we started with, 2 Timothy 3. Many of you probably have this memorized, but let me read it again. In this, I want us to catch this. I want us to see that all the scriptures, not just the New Testament, 
are vitally important to the believer. All of Scripture is. Verse 14. He's talking to Timothy, remember. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from, what, from whom you live, learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of the sacred writings, in other words, all of the scriptures, all of the Bible is given and produced by God. I want you to pay attention to three main things in these, these verses. I want you to see the source, I want you to see the function, and I want you to see the result. I'll, I'll roll right through them. The source, very briefly, easily, is God himself. The function is that it's profitable for teaching, for reproving us, correcting and training us in righteousness. The result, look back in verse 15. These scriptures make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 17, another result, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Let me slow down and go back through those again. First, let's talk about the, the, the results and the function of the Bible, of God's word. And again, probably in David's context, we're talking about, I'm sorry, in Paul's context to Timothy, we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. When he does this, he says in verse 15, Paul says that the Bible is able to make a person wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Salvation, of course, is still through faith in Christ. That doesn't change here. But what we learn Notice that the scriptures make a person wise or ready for the faith in Christ. The scripture by the Spirit's power prepare a person's heart for salvation. They show the truth of God's character. They show the devastation of our rebellion against God. They show very, very starkly the huge chasm that has been left between us and God because of our sin. They show, more importantly possibly, that we can't get there, like that we can't cross that chasm, and that what we really need is a rescuer. And without it, we're doomed. We have no hope without one that could span that gap. This is what it does for us. And it leads to this point, and as a sinner, we cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. What grace to know that we need him. Do you realize that that is grace to us, that we know that we need him? You could live your whole life not knowing that you need him and burn in hell away from him for all eternity because you didn't know that you needed him. You stumble along either ignorantly happy or probably much more realistically, ignorantly sad. And your life has no meaning because you don't know the Savior. This points us then to the truth. The Old Testament scriptures give us example after example after example of people who tried to do these things, who tried to live up to it, but never could. Also, one more thing. There are examples after example after example of possible saviors, of possible helpers, those who are supposed to mediate the covenant, those who are supposed to do it all right, to lead the congregation, to lead the people, and they all die, and they all do it poorly. None of them can meet the expectation to bring them to the righteousness of God. None of them can. And so it's continually building this case that, Lord, have mercy on us. We need someone to span this gap. We cannot do it ourselves. 
The Bible is God's tool to bring about the equipping, then, of the saints to understand these things. But more than that, the Bible helps us to understand our need for Jesus. In verse 17, we get to this point where we also see that what he is doing is building up in us proficiency. Now, the word that you see here is complete. Now, we know that word, right, or perfect uh, for both Colossians and we read in James, this idea of teleos, different word here. So let me explain. When he says, when James, oh, I'm sorry, when, man, I've got that on the brain. When Paul says that the man of God may be complete and equipped, he is saying that the Bible makes a believer proficient, equipped, like fully equipped to do the job. What job? The job of good works. So if you see this here, it's like uh, you become a subject matter expert on doing good works through the scriptures. Like the task ahead of you is to do X. We're going to send you to school to be a specialist in this. That is what the result of knowing the scriptures brings us to, that we may be prepared, fully complete and equipped for good works. That's talking about the result here. But the function is interesting, is to teach, to train, to keep us from going one ditch or the other, and to come and pull us back and train us in righteousness. Paul tells us that the Bible, again, almost is like a specialist school, and that it prepares us to be an expert or a subject matter expert in that field of good works. And by the way, we're not talking about good works like uh, I do on Saturdays and I want to go do this charity drive and help out these ways. That's fine and good, and that's certainly in scope. But we're talking about every different subject that the Bible covers in obedience to God and finding our greatest joy in Him. That's what we mean by good works. This comes out of uh, also another writing of Paul's. Uh, Ephesians 2.10. We know 8 and 9 so well, but sometimes we forget verse 10, which is we are his workmanship created for good works. Like that's one of the purposes that he made us for doing these good works. I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible that he would do that and then prepare us through the preaching of the word. So 2 Timothy 3, 5, 15 through 17 gives us these results and specific function of reading the Bible. Before we leave the passage, I want you to note the source. This is really important. All scripture is breathed out by God. The scriptures were not written by men and then God put his stamp of approval on top of them. That's not what happened. Neither was it somehow that, I'll get ahead of myself, 2 Peter 2, verse 2 Peter 1, 21 tells us this. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The opposite side of that is like, it wasn't as though they went into this holy trance and they, they got a, a, a leather-bound paper Bible that was blank, and then their, their, their hand went and just started scribing what was supposed to be written. That's not what we see here. We see an incredible nature in the Bible. It's almost like the nature of Jesus Christ in the incarnation. We have something that's completely produced by God that's produced through men. That's amazing. He is using men to write these words, these authors who come along and do this, carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is very difficult to understand. I'll tell you that up front. But it's very important for us to believe that it's from God. We see these men and their, their, their situation. We see their personality. We see their writing style. If it were all the same, that might be something. But we see each author have a different personality and do different things, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible has authority and power only because it's God-breathed, not because of our thoughts on it. That's not helpful. 
that will eventually fail. So there we have it. Paul teaches us that all the scriptures are vitally important for the believer. Uh, let me look at one last passage. If you have your Bible, or, or it's fine to follow along, Luke 24. Luke 24, I want us to see lastly here that the Old Testament preaches Christ. This little account here in Luke 24, 25 through 27, is coming on the heels of the death and burial of Jesus. Jesus rises from the dead, but not many of them know about it. Ones that do think the empty tomb must mean that someone stole the body. They're not sure what to think about this. And here we are, we find Jesus walking with two of his followers on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him. God chooses to conceal Jesus at first. But their conversation is interesting. It's all about their disappointment that the one that they thought was the Redeemer kind of fizzled out, and he wasn't the one that actually would save them. They didn't understand that Jesus did come to redeem them. They needed to be taught. They did not understand, or they were not illuminated. So Jesus says to them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, what the prophets have spoken, what, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Here's the word. Got to get verse 27. And beginning with Moses. What did Moses write? The first five books of the Bible. We're talking all the way back to Genesis. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, the Messiah. Jesus uses all of the Old Testament. Moses, that's the law that we talked about, the whole Pentateuch. The prophets, later on in verse 45, we're even going to see him mention the Psalms. It's giving us a picture that all of the Old Testament is showing forth Jesus Christ. We can't miss this. The reason we are going to Joshua is the same reason we went to James, to see Christ and to worship him. My job is to preach all that the scriptures tell us, all that they teach. But if I preach to you Joshua as interesting history and battles and conquests and moralism and good things that we should learn to do or not to do based on the characters, I have done you a very big disservice. And I have not taught the whole of scripture. I've gone very narrow and I've missed something. I've missed the reason that God put Joshua in the Bible in the first place. I'm not saying that we're to look under every little stone and rock and twist all these verses to make it say Jesus somehow. What I am saying, however, is that if we don't understand that the author is pointing to something far bigger and better than Joshua and obedient Israel, then we miss the point. The point isn't to be more like Joshua. The point isn't to be like believing Israel and not like Achan. That's not where we're going here. That's why it's important to see Joshua as part of the whole. Yes, we'll learn some things in, in, these, in these details of the story, but it's preaching a much larger picture here. It's pointing to Jesus. If it's hard for you to understand this from Jesus' perspective, let me just rifle off a few other thoughts from the New Testament. Consider Acts 8.35, where Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember this, and he can't figure out what the scriptures are saying. The Bible tells us that Philip uses Isaiah 53. I love this. He uses Isaiah 53 as the beginning scripture to tell the good news about Jesus. He's preaching from the Old Testament. He's preaching from Isaiah Christ. And what does it say? He gets saved and he needs to get baptized. I mean, Isaiah 53 can point to Christ. 
Consider 2 Corinthians 3, 14 and 16, where Paul tells his listeners that they can only see the true meaning of Moses, the Pentateuch, through the understanding of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Lord. I want you to take this again. He, Jesus, Jesus is the key to the whole Bible. If you don't get Jesus, you don't get any of it. Jesus brings explanation to all the stuff that's prior to Malachi and all the stuff after and Malachi too. He does everything. He brings meaning to all of it. If we don't have him, we have nothing. We will end up like a man like Robert Alter, who is an incredible biblical scholar and is not converted. He's probably spent more time in the Bible than I ever could, and yet he rejects God. It's a great book. How can that possibly happen? It's amazing. If he doesn't have Christ, he has nothing. If you don't understand that Genesis and even Leviticus is about Jesus, then we're missing it. And we're getting caught up, perhaps without a context, only in what those guys are saying. Consider Acts 18, 24 through 28, when Priscilla and Aquila, they come and they talk to Apollos. Do you remember this? Jordan pointed this out to me this week. I love this thought. They tell Apollos a better way as he's trying to preach Christ, as he's trying to preach the good news. They bring him aside and tell him the better way and explain it accurately to him that Jesus is the Christ. After this, we see that he goes across to Achaia and shows the Jews using the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He's using the Old Testament scriptures to argue, this is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one that you know of Nazareth. He's the one that all of these scriptures have been pointing to. The Bible's key is Jesus. And we understand that. We will understand all of these things in succession. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It will take work for us. And this may still be new to some of us to try to understand how this works together. How are these laws in Leviticus have anything to do with Jesus? We'll get there. But as we do so, we realize that this is pointing to Jesus. So let me sum it up. In Psalm 19, we saw David teach us the high value of the law, right? In 2 Timothy 3, we saw that all of the scriptures, not just the New Testament, but all the scriptures are vitally important to a believer. And then from Luke 24, we just heard that Jesus told his disciples that all of the Old Testament preaches Christ. In my humble pastoral opinion, I think that we have many reasons that we ought to read and preach through the Old Testament. It will give us a more solid advantage in understanding who Jesus is. Again, you don't understand the significance of this until you understand all this that points to him and our great need for this Savior. Earlier, I made kind of a start in an argument that the Bible reading stops short of an ultimate goal, right? I made that silly statement that you should love the Bible with all your heart, soul, and mind. No, we should love Jesus. We should love the Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, and mind. The Bible does much for us, but it's not worthy of worship. I want to remember what Psalm 19 said, because we didn't finish it. I don't know if you noticed that. We stopped at verse 11. Go back to Psalm 19, or listen. I want us to go back to verse 12. David's going to continue. After all that he said about the creation, declaring the glory of God, and special revelation, this supernatural revelation of the Bible, you'd think he'd be done in like some sort of exhortation to read more of the scriptures. That would be good. But that's not what he does. Verse 12 says this. He's crying out, 
because he knows the depths of his own wickedness. Listen, he says, who can discern his errors? How can anyone know the wickedness of their own heart? I have all creation telling me the truth. I have your Bible, the, the word, the law telling me about who you are and who I am. And still, I have to cry out, who can know and discern his errors? And he pleads with God, asking him in this prayer, says, declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Because I can't see it all. I don't have spiritual eyes. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David knows that even though God's word is leading him, he still won't get it. He knows the wickedness of his own heart and his need for God to act. The Bible is wonderful. It is not the ultimate goal. So don't, don't, don't miss what I'm saying here. I would encourage you to read the whole Bible in 90 days. You should try to do so. I would encourage you to read it day after day after day. But Bible reading as an end in of itself to make yourself more knowledgeable for Bible jeopardy will not help you in the long run. We are given the scriptures, and they're so holy and sweet and wonderful to us because they declare God. They show us who he is, and that he's worthy of worship, and that he changes everything about us. And so as we get into 2019, and we go to Joshua specifically, I call you to doing these things, to not miss the importance of what we're doing here. We want to better understand the Bible. We understand the stories and understand how they match up and the conquests and all of that. But let us set out on this journey with one central goal, to know and love God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We put it back in your hands, asking you to continue the work. Just like David said, who can know the errors of his own heart, the struggles, the presumptuous sins, those things that are hidden? God, would you reveal it to us? Your word is a revealer creation even reveals, but God, we need your Holy Spirit to work in us. I pray that we would rely on you, that you give us faith to trust you. As we go forward, God, I pray that we would feast on you, that we would not make an idol out of the Bible, but rather that we'd enjoy the Bible as sweet words of life to us because of Jesus. May our hearts and affections be drawn to you alone in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For further sermons on Joshua and for more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.